It's just one of those days. That's right. We'll write it off as one of those days, and we're just going to keep going. I know that a lot of you guys are probably tired from your long week of celebrations. We celebrate one time a year. Several times we celebrate our armed forces. We celebrate those who have served and given their lives or who have been willing to give their lives for our country. But this particular time of year, we celebrate that since the beginning of our country People have been willing to give their lives, to serve us, to love us enough, to fight for us, and to give us a place to be able to worship freely. And so we want to thank them again today. Uh, I just encourage you to not only do that now as we pray for our nation, as we pray for those who serve, but also to do that on your own. It's one thing for us to stand up here on the stage and make a statement. It's another thing to pray congregationally one time. We should be praying for our nation and praying for those who serve regularly. And so I want to take a moment to do that uh, right now. So if you would, if you would just bow your heads and let me pray. And if you agree with the prayer at the end, you say the word amen. That's what that word means. It means I agree. And so let's pray together right now. Father, I thank you so much. Lord, you have seen fit to birth us into a nation who has been here long before us, or to bring some of us here even after we were born and let us be a part of it. And where we know this nation is not a perfect one, but it is one that we love and it's one that we appreciate and are thankful to you for, for giving us a place where we might worship you without worry about persecution. Lord, we thank you for those men and women who have given their lives or been willing to give their lives in order to keep this place a place that we might do that. And we thank you for those over 200 years ago, who were willing to do whatever it took in order to have freedom to be able to worship God, you, rightly. God, help us to know how to worship you that same way today. Help us to love you the way that those who have given their lives loved you for that same purpose. And Lord, let us make much of you as we pray for them and as we pray for our nation regularly. We ask, Lord, that you would lead our leaders, that you would lead them to you most of all, and that you would lead them in your ways, and that we would be a nation that loves you. But Lord, if some fail in that regard, if they do not come to know you and serve you, we still pray for them that you would bring them to faith, that we might revel in your glory if you would save some. And if you do not, that we would still worship you, Lord. Father, today we come to you for your sake. We love our country, but we're here to worship you and we ask that you would bless our time together as we read, as we study your word, to know you in a real way that changes us from the inside out. And Lord, we ask that all in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. To Ephesians chapter 1, we'll be starting in verse 15. Uh, this is a continuation of what we have already begun in the book of Ephesians as we walk through the first 14 verses. I want to encourage um, all of you to have your Bibles open. I want you to be able to see what we are seeing up here as I'm reading. I want you to be able to, to see it, make notes, to write things down as the Lord leads you. But what I really want you to do is to be ready to answer a question today about yourself. As we've been celebrating those who have given their lives or have been willing to do so over the last week for the sake of our country and our freedoms, I want to ask you today a question that may seem a little bit religious. It may seem a little bit uh, simple. It may seem like a question that you don't have to think too hard about, but I think that over our time together, we're going to see that that question is actually a lot greater than what we anticipated at first hearing of it. And so I want you to look at Ephesians 1 with me. Before we do, I want to ask this question. This is the question I want you to think about the rest of the time we're together. 
And, and it's simply this, and many forms will say it, but this is the simplest way to say it. Do you, do you know God? Do you know God the way he wants to be known? Do you know God the way he wants to be known? And you may think that question is a little bit silly. Uh, let me give an illustration to show you how it's not silly. How many of you in here have ever taken the test or read about and decided what your love language is? Come on, don't be shy. Many of us have done that, all right? Uh, many of us have found out that some of us like words of affirmation, some of us like touch, some of us uh, like service, somebody to do something nice for us. Whatever it is the way you like to be loved, one of the things that I've learned the hard way throughout my 10 years of being married is that my wife doesn't like to receive love the same way that I like to receive love. Any of you, rest of y'all in that same boat? Some of you are shaking your head yes, the others of you haven't figured it out yet. Let me help you understand something, that if you really want a marriage where your spouse is happy with you, you want to make sure you love them the way they receive love well. You understand? So I like touch. I like for my wife to put her hand on my hand, to put her hand on my back. I like for her to be next to me. I like that. Uh, a lot of times, I sometimes wonder if my wife wants me to even be close enough to touch her. You know, she, that's not her thing. She doesn't think that's her favorite way, but she appreciates it. She understands it. She knows that's how I appreciate love coming towards me. But she likes words of affirmation. Who in here likes words of affirmation? Most of us like them, but who that's your favorite? few of you, that's your favorite. She likes that. And so I had to learn early on that just grabbing her hand and walking down the street is not as good for her to receive love as it is for me to tell her about how much I love and appreciate her. And so you would think that comes normal for a preacher, right? They talk a lot, um, but that's not the norm. So I had to learn to do those things. And I think that many of us are in the same boat, an even greater picture of this is how we love God. We oftentimes get a very clear understanding at first about who God is in relation to who we are as we come to know him. And then things change, but we don't really pick up on the tabs. The fact that what changes is our understanding should be changing to understand who God is more rightly every day that we spend time with him. But oftentimes we kind of close down to that and we think that our first picture or that picture that's also infused with cultural images of who God is or what he wants, or maybe with what other people have taught us and ingrained in us, but maybe May not be from the word, that those things inform and instruct and kind of motivate us to love God in a certain way. And it may not be that we actually know God the way he wants to be known. Now, that's a really important statement, because if we are not knowing God the way he wants to be known, if we're not loving him that way, we may be way out of line. Now, you say, well, what's the big deal? Well, let me get into the big deal the question for us is, do we really know him the way he wants to be known? And when I use that word know, I don't just mean knowledge. To know someone in the way that the scriptures refer to God here and in all throughout the other parts of scripture, it's to know him in a relational kind of way, to know him personally. And so you need to understand that you can be around somebody a lot and not really know them. You can be around somebody a lot and pick up on a few cues about them, but not really know who they are. You know what I'm saying? You've probably been there before where you really thought you knew someone, and then they ended up being somebody different than what you thought you knew about them. And I think today that many of us are in that seat right now, but we don't really think about it too much. I think all too quickly and all too often, we grow complacent, and we risk becoming a church that profanes the name of Jesus instead of promotes the name of Jesus, because we don't know him and love him the way he wants to be known. We think we know him. But do we really know him the way he's made himself known? 
Look at Ephesians chapter 1 with me, verse 15 through 23. We're going to read this whole bit, but we're going to unpack this for the next four weeks, this week including. This week and three more weeks, we're going to unpack this whole bit. We're going to focus on the first three and a half verses today, but I'm going to read the whole thing together. So look at Ephesians 1, verse 15 and on. Paul says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet. And gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Lord, we pray and ask for that spirit of wisdom and revelation today that we might know you and love you and enjoy you and worship you and exalt you rightly this morning and from now forth. Lord, help us. Please give that to us this morning, we pray. Amen. Let's look back, Ephesians 1.15. Let's unpack this just a little bit, because I don't think that we quite understand things as well as we think we do. I don't think we know God as well as we think we do. So let's see why Paul is talking like this. If you go back to verse 3 through 14, we see this letter coming to the church at Ephesus. He goes into this whole praise moment, right? We, we've studied this a while back. If you don't remember, go back and listen to it to get revved up for this series. But in, 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 in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3, he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He says, Bless or praise or adore God, who has blessed us with all the spiritual blessings in all the heavenly places as he's given us Jesus. In other words, he's given us everything that we could possibly be blessed with because he's given us Jesus and all the blessings are found in him. And then he proceeds over the next several verses for us, his verses, just one long sentence for him, proceeds out verse 3 through verse 14 to then unpack that statement into all the pieces, like in verse 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, verse 5, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he's blessed us in the beloved. In him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he, God, lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight making known to us, listen to that, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him 
we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Now, some of you are sitting here going, I don't hear half of what you said. I lost you. It's too much. It's overwhelming. Okay, so, so Paul starts off with this like worship moment. He worships as the Spirit is inspiring him to write these words. He is worshiping and leading these folks to do the same through his letter to them. And he probably knows and understands when he gets through with that moment of worship and adoration and praise that he has overwhelmed the audience. And then he steps into the next thing. And let's read it together again, verse 15. He then says, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. And by the way, that's him saying like in 1 John 3, that the greatest commandment, the command to know that you know Jesus, that you love Jesus, is that you have faith in the Lord Jesus and that you love his church, right? He says here, for this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, look, I do not cease to give thanks for you remembering you in my prayers. And now he's going to say what he's praying for. After that huge unloading of theological truth about who God is and what he's done for us, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all those together, what he's done for us. He says, I'm praying this for you, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, listen, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Now, he is praying for that church. I think through the Holy Spirit, he's even praying for us. And he's saying he's praying for us that our knowledge of God would be led by the Holy Spirit to make us wise in the knowledge of God, to make us understand the revelation of who God is for us. Let's unpack that a little bit further. Let me explain what I mean by that. Go back with me and look at verse 17 again. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Now that word spirit is the word pneuma in the Greek. It could be spirit with a capital S, like the Holy Spirit, or it could be spirit lowercase s, like our self, our souls, right? We're not sure, an understanding, a spirit of understanding. We don't know exactly which it is. Either way you want to go, it probably works. Let's look at it. Um, you see in the ESV, some translations have it as a capital S, saying it's the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is the one who illumines your mind and understanding in your heart. That, that's why it would be just perfectly fine if it is the Holy Spirit. Or if it's just you, and we give you a spirit, a knowledge, a wisdom, a revelation, and the knowledge of Him, it works as well. So we're not sure which, but we know is He wants you to be able to have the wisdom and a revelation and the knowledge of God. Now, what in the world does that mean? Right? You've got to ask the question. Because it could lean into the charismatic world. I don't mean charisma as in leadership type stuff. I mean the charismatic in the sense of asking for further revelation than what God has already given to us here. That you can go out in the woods and you can pray and ask, God, show me what you're going to do tomorrow that I might participate in it in a big, magnanimous way. And he reveals a truth to you. I don't think that's what that's talking about here. Because what we see going on right before this is he unpacks all this truth about God and says that all the blessings we receive are in Christ. We've already received them. 
right? Go back to verse 3. Look at that again, what he says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And now he says, Lord, would you please give us a spirit of wisdom and a revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of our hearts enlightened. That's kind of weird, right? Because we often think that the Holy Spirit dwells in you as soon as you become a believer, right? As soon, I mean, in fact, that's really how you become a believer, right? The Holy Spirit kind of hits you with the truth of the gospel, just takes that heart of stone, makes it into a heart of flesh. You have faith from the Lord that he gives as a gift. You believe on him. You repent from your sin. You, you turn to the Lord, and you are regenerate. All that happens in this, like, moment, and we know the Holy Spirit dwells within you. You're not without him anymore after that. We know that's the case. You're always with him. He's always with you. So why in here would he be saying that you have a spirit of revelation? Well, here's the thing. You know God for the first time when you become a believer. And you understand him at some level, but you are not done in your understanding of God in its growth and in its need for more and more and more. You will never on this side of Jesus is coming the second time. You'll never, on this point, before he comes back to take us with him, where sin is removed and you get to see God fully, you will never know him fully, and you will always struggle with knowing him rightly. And so he is praying on behalf of the Christians that he's writing to, saying, please, God, give them a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of you, that they may know you through your word that you've inspired, they may know who you are, that they may understand you better. Listen, he then says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. The question, do you know God the way he wants to be known, is really important here. Because we've got several problems that get in the way of us knowing him. And here's what part of it is showing in verse 18, this first part. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. What does that even mean, right? So let's look at Scripture in another place to get a better understanding of what he's talking about. If you go to Colossians 1.9, you see almost an identical prayer. I'm just going to see the first verse together. I want to read it. But the whole thing, verse 9 through 14, is, is almost identical in its actual impact and in the context. But here's what verse 9 says alone. And so from the day we heard, Paul says, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Right? Kind of the same idea, that you would still be filled with this knowledge of God's will and with wisdom and understanding spiritually about who God is and what he wants. Now, the problem is we get into this issue where we begin to see God at first, and we're overwhelmed, and everything becomes new for the first time we see in color, right? And everything is real and right, and then it begins to fade. In youth group, we call that coming off the peak, coming off the mountain, right? After camp. And then it begins to fade, and things get kind of back into the gray area a little bit. You see a little bit of color, but not much. Every once in a while, you get a little bit of a taste, but not much. And the problem here is that we often think, well, that was just this high that I get when I go to camp, or when I go to this conference, or when I do this one thing that I like to do. Sometimes I don't get much time to do it, like when I fast, or when I go to this, like other churches gathering on Sunday nights when they worship a different way that I really love. But the problem is, is that it's not about God being worthy of worship. It's not about God being enough. It's about us having a problem. You see, God's value never changes. His, his self-worth never changes. But our seeing of that is the problem. The problem, the first problem we have is a seeing problem. We have a seeing problem. Here we see that in verse 18. He says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Although that's a weird phrase, 
Let me help us out. There are at least two kinds of seeing that we see in scriptures. You follow me? At least two kinds of seeing. There's the head seeing, and then there's the heart seeing. Okay, head seeing, but what you see with your eyes or what you understand logically, what you, you get here. And oftentimes, and I know a lot of you have never been down this road before, right? You've never said anything crazy like, hey, it's not about logic. You just get, forget logic. It's about faith. It's a bad statement. Don't say that. If you said it before, just repent, okay? It's not good. Logic is not opposed to faith. One commentator says logic is actually the ladder upon which faith climbs until you get to the point where you step above the logic. You understand things that logic can't quantify, right? Faith and logic are not diametrically opposed. Faith and logic are together, but you can't just live off just the logic side of things. So it's not just seeing with the head eyes, it's seeing with the heart eyes. Let me give you an example of a church, Revelation 3. Jesus is talking to a church in Revelation 3 that's, that's seeing things the wrong way. It's the church at Laodicea. In verse 15, he says, I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Listen, for you say I am rich. I have prospered and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. See, they had a seeing problem, right? They looked in the mirror and said, hey, everything's all right. And he said, no, look again, you are in great need right now. You think you've got it all, but you do not have it all. And you may think, well, I never think I have it all, but we think we have most of it, don't we? We don't see our great need. He says, you have a great need. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, white garments that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. So we have a seeing problem often. What does that mean still? So he says this, verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. So what, that's a weird statement. Isn't that a weird statement? What if you like did open heart surgery and you saw eyes on the heart? That would be so weird, wouldn't it? You get away drawing cartoon stuff that would be so weird in real life, right? The eyes of your heart enlightened. What does that even mean? I'm glad that you asked that question. The heart, when used in Scripture, is not just the seat of emotions. That's what we often think of it. But in Scripture, the heart is the seat of physical, spiritual, and mental life, as well as emotional life. It's everything. It's the seat of everything. Your will, your desires, your driving forces, everything's in the heart. In fact, they wouldn't say the heart was up here. They would talk about that word, and it'd be more down here, kind of like in the loins area. It'd be down where like the gut is, like where things emanate from, your desires, your purposes, the, the, the hopes, the will to do things. So our seeing problem is actually at its root a heart problem. You understand? It's a heart problem because we see up here but we don't see in here. In other words, we read Scripture sometimes and we see who God is, but it doesn't really affect us in here. And that's not a God problem. It's not because He's not worthy of our adoration. It's not because we should automatically worship Him. It's because we have a problem of hardness of heart. You can see God with your head eyes and not understand Him with your heart eyes, in other words. So yeah, you know God, but do you see Him with your heart? Let me give you some ideas of what I'm talking about. Let Scripture speak for Scripture. If you want these, email me later. I'm going to go fast. Matthew 13, 13. This is why I speak to them in parables, Jesus says, because seeing, they do not see. And hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. Or Mark 8, 14 and on. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, 
and they had only one loaf with them in the boat, and he cautioned them, saying, watch out, to the apostles, right, to the disciples, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And then began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. What's he talking about? We don't have any bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? You see? The believers don't get it. Their hearts are hardened. Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? He says, or Matthew 5, 8, where Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That means blessed are the ones who are so focused on God as their primary, always, because they will see God. Everything else gets in the way. Maybe today you've got things in your way. Maybe today you have things that are distracting you from seeing God. Maybe it's the pressures of your life, the financial pressures that are at your doorstep. Maybe it's the, the mail that keeps coming that you don't have the money to pay the bills. Maybe it's something besides that. Maybe it's a family issue that's going on, a son, a daughter, a mom, a sister. Whatever it is that you have that's clouding your mind and your heart, it's okay to have those issues. It's not okay to let them rule over your love for the Lord. And how do you do that? That's a crazy question is how do you change that out when it's so worrisome it's so overwhelming that's because you're not seeing God rightly if you just saw him for who he is everything would change how do we know that because that's what's going to happen in the end sin's going to be removed the worries of the world will fall away when we stand in his presence fully encompassed by his glory all that stuff will fall away and we will not be worried about those things anymore that's why all the mourning, all the, the suffering, all the crying will be gone in that way. We will worship with tears of joy and not the other as we stand in his presence. So how do we do that now? How do we live in that now? I mean, for those who don't know God, it says the enemy has blinded them. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, he says, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Listen, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So our real issue is that we take our eyes off of Jesus or we don't stare in long enough and ask for God to give us a spirit of wisdom and a spirit of revelation to see and understand who God is and what he's done for us, especially in the face of Jesus. It's not a problem with God. It's not a problem with our problems being too great. It's a problem with our view or understanding of God being too small. And the problem is overcome by staring into the face of Jesus. That's how it's overcome. It's not by you mustering up enough strength to overcome it. It's not by you working harder to pay the bills. It's not by you figuring out the way to do it logically with the eyes of your mind. But it's by you setting your eyes of your heart on Jesus and seeing him and loving him because of who he is. Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Right? So if your treasure is getting over the hump, if that's your treasure, that's where your heart's going to be. Matthew 15, 8 and 9, this is my fear for us, brothers and sisters. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. 
That's how we get jacked up theology. That's how we mess things up. We, we start to understand a little bit about who God is, and then we hear somebody say this really awesome statement, and we go, man, they're talking about stuff from the Bible that must be true. And so we begin to believe things that actually aren't in the Bible, and we begin to hope and trust in those things instead of in the Savior himself, that he will overcome, that we will prosper, that we'll get all the stuff, that things are going to go good because we have Jesus. And we forget that the one whom we love and worship, things did not go good for him. He died naked on a cross in excruciating pain with all of his friends having abandoned him but one. He had nothing, right? We don't put our hope in the prosperity message. We don't put our hope in what some nice cliche thing is said. We put our hope in a person and his name is Jesus or we really have no hope at the end of the day. So where are we going to put our eyes and our heart today? Do not let us be those who walk in here and sing the songs and who look at the scripture and nod our heads and maybe even say amen and maybe even get up and go teach a class or participate in Sunday school, yet it's all up here and we never adore the Lord with our heart because we're just walking through religion no different than Pharisees. Do you see God the way he wants to be seen? At first, it's a sight problem, a seeing problem, which really is a heart problem, but it's also a religious problem that we have. Look at the verses again. Paul says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Here's how I pray, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. Do you understand what that word glory even means? Because I don't. I do not. I, every time I come to a word where I have to preach over a text that has the word glory in it, I am I'm without speaking on it. I have, I have to go back and reread definitions and definitions and scriptures and scriptures about glory because it eludes me. It is overwhelming to think about what that word can and does mean. It's too much. That word is like this one word that means so much more than we could ever really express. Do you think about this? Look, he says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, that means that from him emanates everything that is good. Glorious, meaning great, magnanimous, of great virtue, of great value, that he is the Father of everything that way. Also, the Father of glory, that everything we will be in in the end, when we're with him, he is the author, the creator of all those things, that he is the one who knows everything, and so he's the Father of glory. He's the one that is more powerful than anything, so he's the Father of glory. He's the one that, that knows not just what we do wrong, but what we do right, and gives us praise even though we are sinners. He's the Father of glory, right? I mean, he starts thinking about all those little things in that one word. It should overwhelm us to worship. Instead, we run right by it. I read my scripture today. Do we even know who he is? Do we see him for who he is? I think sometimes we have a religious problem. We do the religious stuff. We don't expect to meet God. And that's what this is all about. If we're just reading the scriptures to memorize and know the scriptures, we are the Pharisees. We are bibliolatrists instead of Christians. We are worshiping a book and not worshiping the king who reveals himself in this book so that we may know him and love him and be with him. And do we yearn for him? Is it possible, let me ask a question, is it possible to live with Jesus for three whole years face to face and not see him? It was for Judas. Do we think we are that much better? It was for Judas was there with him. 
walking with, seeing the miracles, hearing him speak, seeing him stupefy and mystify the Pharisees and other religious leaders. He saw him make bread out of a few pieces for thousands to eat. He, he saw him walk on water. He saw him raise the dead. He saw him do all these things, and he was right in his presence. Still hindered by his own sin, though, it says in there in one spot where John is referring to him, it says that he loved money because he was a thief, and he took some money out of the bag because he's a thief. In the presence of God, the Almighty Son, in the presence of him for three years, and he loved money more than he loved Jesus. I mean, could it be that some of us are doing these things in this place, even walking in the ways that we think are knowing God, even thinking that we are his, and really we love other things more than him, and in the end we will not be his? It is very possible. Please, Lord, no. No, Lord, not over these people that we walk with and sit by every day. Not with the people that we love, that we sit next to and we, we care for and we pray over. Let us be made aware, Lord. Give us insight and wisdom and revelation of this truth. Look, Paul assumed Christians don't see what they need to see. That's why he's saying it to them. He's saying to them, for the... That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. He's saying, you probably don't get it yet. You probably aren't there yet. I'm not there yet. We have faith and we have love, but the eyes of our hearts still need to be opened more and more. Does your knowledge, here's a question for you, does your knowledge of God stir your heart to praise him and adore him? When you read the scriptures... Are you reading to satisfy your religion or to know and enjoy the God who sent his only son that he might have and enjoy you forever? See, this is so that we can know him, so that we can be with him. That's what it's for. It's not just to know him, just to, to fan him with, with olive branches. It's not just to, 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 to make much of him, to throw grapes at him while he eats on the throne. He gave us this so we can know who he is and what he's done for us in Jesus. How do we know that that's what this is about? Because he says it right here, right? Look at it again. He says, I'm praying this for you, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Listen, so that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? Now he's going to go on a diatribe about that power, a worshipful diatribe. He says, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Look, he's worshiping the king. He's expounding on this revelation. Everything that's talked about in verses 3 through 14, he's now saying, ask God to help you understand it so that you may know him and worship him and love him. Do you know God the way he wants to be known? Do you find yourself overwhelmed when you read the scriptures? Do you find yourself enjoying him when you read? If not, pray this prayer. That's the answer. Pray this prayer. God, please give me a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Enlighten my heart. Enlighten the eyes of my heart to see you for who you are and love you back because you first loved me with Jesus. 
This isn't a prayer for God to give you more than you already have. It's not a prayer for God to give you special revelation about things to come. This is a prayer that we might understand and love God because of what he's already given us, namely Jesus. He's either enough or he's not. Is he enough? Do you love him that way? That's the way he wants to be known. He told us that. 2 Corinthians, we just read it a minute ago, verse 6 of chapter 4. In the face of Jesus, we know him. J.I. Packer wrote a great book. If you need a book to take this further, it's called Knowing God. Easy enough, right? Do you know God? Knowing God by J.I. Packer. Everybody should read this book. And in that book, he has a statement. He says, once you become aware that the main business that you are here for is to know God, most of life's problems fall into place of their own accord. The reason things are out of whack is because we are out of whack. The reason things are out of sync is because our hearts are out of sync. Do you know God the way he wants to be known? R.C. Sproul takes it further. He says, the key work of the Holy Spirit in regeneration, that's you coming to faith, you coming alive, is not giving new knowledge to the brain, but changing the disposition of the heart. Before the Spirit turns that heart of stone into a heart of flesh, we have no desire for the things of God. We may desire the blessings that only God can give us, but we have no affection for the things of God. At the moment of regeneration, the eyes of the heart are opened somewhat, but this is just the beginning. The whole Christian life involves an unfolding and an enlarging of the heart's openness to the things of God. There are concepts, attitudes, and values in my life at present that do not please God. Amen? For there will be stony parts to my heart as long as sin abides within me. Sin clouds my thinking, my will, my desires, my affections. There will always be parts of me that need to be opened more and more to let the fullness of God's truth dwell in me. Augustine said it a different way. You may call him Augustine. He said it simply in this way. Humility is the foundation of all the other virtues. Hence, in the soul in which this virtue does not exist, there cannot be any other virtue. Humility. That's the, that's the whole picture, right? That we do not know God the way we should, and we never will know God the way we should. We never will fully understand him because he is infinite and we are finite, because we are sinners. And so we do not quite get it. That's why we say things like right now across our land, people are preaching this text, 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. I'm going to give you a quick lesson on exegesis. That is not talking about the United States of America. We understand? He may do that for the United States of America, but that is not talking about the United States of America. It's talking about Israel. Now, there is an overarching truth that's here for all of us. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin. And he will... He will heal our land because one day he's going to come back. He's going to bring a new heaven and a new earth. And he will bring that into place. Now, we can pray for him to heal this land right now. And that's a great prayer. We should pray those things as people turn to him. But that is not a formula for the United States to prosper. It is a formula to know God and be known by him and to be his because he's made himself ours by sending us Jesus. And at the core of that is humility that we recognize our need for Jesus, 
right now, just like the first time we met him? Do you know God that way, the way he wants to be known, that we still have so much more to grow in? One more quote. John Stott puts it aptly. He says, first, Paul blesses God for having blessed us in Christ. Then he prays that God will open our eyes to grasp the fullness of this blessing. What Paul does in Ephesians 1 and therefore encourages us to copy is both to keep praising God that in Christ all spiritual blessings are ours, in Christ, all spiritual blessings are ours, and to keep praying that we may know the fullness of what he's given to us in Christ. It's an ongoing need for that revelation of knowledge about who Christ is and what he's done for us. Not of new things, but to understand the depth of our sin and the depth of what Christ has done for us. Therefore, when that's the case, when we understand this statement more, listen again, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. I'm going to say it again. Look in your Bibles. Look, look, if you're already open, it's just right there. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, adore the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's praise Him. Let's adore Him. Let's bless Him. Let's make much of Him. Who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Everything you think you're hoping for in heaven is found in Jesus alone. Or it's not really a thing that we should be hoping for. Do you understand? It's found in Jesus. You can hope for all the extras, seeing families, seeing loved ones, being, being away from the things that hurt. Those are good things to hope for. But all those spiritual blessings are found in Jesus. That's where they're found, in Him, being with Him. That's it. And so the more we understand that, the more we get that, the more we will love Him. The more we know God rightly, we will love Him rightly. The more we love God rightly, we will enjoy Him rightly. The more we enjoy Him rightly, we will worship Him rightly. And the more we worship God rightly, the more we will exalt Jesus in this place and as we leave. His Son will rightly be worshipped in front of the world as we live out our lives. And it all goes back to knowing God rightly. Do you know God the way He wants to be known? If not, this is my beckoning to you. Pray with me. Let it be our continual prayer. Pray with me now, the scripture itself. Our team is going to come up and lead us to sing to the Father, to sing to our King Jesus. And I want you to pray with me, God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, please Give us the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of you. And enlighten the eyes of our hearts that we may know you as you want to be known. That we may see you as you want to be seen. And that we might love you as you deserve to be loved. That we might enjoy you as we are meant to be filled with joy as we stand in your presence. And that we might adore you in such a way that your son Jesus is exalted everywhere we are. Lord, give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation by enlightening our eyes of our hearts. We may know you and love you, Lord, because you deserve it, and because we want you. I ask that all in Jesus' name. Amen.